Memories are important. Memories are vital. We need our memories. We need to remember things. Good memories are wonderful. Perhaps you have good memories of a vacation that you took at some point. Maybe you have good memories of growing up. Maybe you have good memories of the time when your children were born or the memories of your wedding day. Good memories are great. They're, they're, they're wonderful. They can give us comfort in hard times. In the Psalms, David and the other psalmists often wrote of the things that God had done in the past and how important it was to remember his mighty deeds and his mighty acts in the past. The things that he had done that would bring comfort to his people at that time when they were suffering and going through difficult times. Bad memories are also important. Bad memories serve as a good reminder not to repeat the mistakes of the past. The things that we have done that we know shouldn't have done that. We have those memories of those bad situations of those things that we have done that keep us from doing them again or at least should keep us from doing those things again in the future again the prophets in the old testament would often warn the israelites of the past actions of their ancestors the things that they had done the idol worship that they had uh, engaged in and the uh, prophets would warn them don't repeat the mistakes of the past remember what has happened before as we age, sometimes we start to lose our memories, or at least we lose certain memories. I think, uh, I have found that as I have gotten a little bit older, I tend to forget the bad memories, and I hold on to the good ones. I remember the lessons and the things that my parents taught me. I remember the important lessons, and how do I know I remember them? Because I hear my parents coming out of my mouth. <laughs> Sound familiar? <laughs> like, where did that come from? Oh, wait a minute. Going way back in the memory bank. I heard that once before, and I'm sure my mom and dad would tell you that they heard it before as well. I forget a lot of the bad memories. You know, when you're a kid and, and uh, you're, you get punished, you're getting whooped, or you're getting grounded, and you think, I'm never going to forget this. And I'm, what do we say? I'm never going to do this to my kid. <laughs> no. No, he still gets grounded. But um, we tend to forget those things, and we hold on to those good memories, and we remember those good memories. Uh, we forget the pain. We forget a lot of the pain, but we remember a lot of the joy. It's funny. We can forget why we walked into a room 10 seconds after walking into it, right? It's like, I came in here for... Why did I come in here? We forget while we walked into a room 10 seconds after we do it. And yet, you know, we can remember our first kiss. Or we can remember that first date with our spouse. We can remember, I remember the first time. Remember the first time I held my son. You know, it's I, I, stuff I'll never forget. Like I said, I can't remember why I walked into the room. I can't remember where I put my car keys. But those things I remember. Memories are good. Memories are great. As we continue in 2 Peter, we're going to talk about what Peter says to remember. Some very important things that we are called to remember. He writes uh, about remembering these things. And today we're going to talk about three things that we're supposed to remember. If you'll grab a Bible and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 
We're going to uh, look at 2 Peter 1, verses 12 through 21. And uh, we're going to continue on in our study of 2 Peter this morning. Let's look at verses 12 uh, through 15. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Peter writes, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. He knew that his time was running short, that his life on earth would end soon. He wasn't long for this world. And so he wanted to remind them of some very important things. And we're going to talk about three of those things this morning. If you would turn to the back of your bulletin, you'll find the HDO, and you can fill in some blanks there this morning as we continue looking at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 21. The first blank on your outline this morning is that God's Son was seen. God's Son was seen. Look at verse 16 in 2 Peter 1. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. In other words, Jesus was seen. Peter's not the only one who writes about this. The Apostle John also wrote the same things, that Jesus was seen. In John chapter 1, verse 14, John wrote, the word became flesh and has made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. We have seen Jesus. He was visible. He also wrote about this in his first letter. John did. He says that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life, the life of appeared we have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the father and has appeared to us we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the father and with his son jesus christ in john chapter 20 verse 25 uh, Jesus' Jesus's disciples told Thomas, the doubter, they told Thomas, we have seen the Lord. Jesus had been crucified. He was dead in the ground three days. The disciples had seen him, that he was alive and well, and he was living again, risen from the dead, just as he said he would be on the third day, risen from the dead. The disciples told Thomas, we have seen him. We have seen the Lord Jesus was visible. You could see him. He was tangible. You could touch him. He was not a ghost. He was not an apparition. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were called before the leaders of Israel and they testified about what they had seen. They testified about who Jesus was and who they believed Jesus to be. The elders of the people of Israel called them in in Acts chapter 4 verses 18 through 20. It says, they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. 
In other words, we can't stop talking about Jesus because we've seen him. We have seen what he's done. We have seen him miracles. We have heard his teachings. We know that Jesus is the Messiah and we can't stop talking about him because we've seen him. They had seen Jesus. Like I said, he was not a ghost. He was not an apparition. He was flesh and blood. They had seen him. They had touched him. And the point of this whole thing is that Jesus was real. He really was a man. He really was the Son of God. He really is who he said he is. Their faith was not misplaced. Their hope was not misplaced. Their trust was not misplaced. Our faith is not misplaced. The faith that we have that Jesus Christ is God's Son, the faith that we have that Jesus died on the cross to forgive our sins, this faith we have is not misplaced. And you may think to yourself, my faith isn't very strong. There are days that my faith feels really weak. There are days that I doubt. Doubts are natural. I believe that doubts are very natural. I believe that doubts are real. How do I know this? Because one of Jesus' own disciples doubted. We call them people who doubt. Doubting what? Doubting Thomas. Why? Because Jesus' own disciple had doubted. He saw the miracles. He was there when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He was there when Peter walked in the water. He was there when Jesus fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two little fish. He had seen the miracles. He had heard the teaching. He said, we, he, he was with the disciples when he said, we believe. We believe that you are the Son of God. We believe that you are the Messiah, the Christ. He said, we believe. And yet, when it came for Jesus to be raised from the dead, when Jesus was raised from the dead, what did Thomas say? Unless I see it with my eyes, unless I put my hands in his, and put my fingers in his hands and my hand in his side, I will not believe it. Thomas had doubts. We have doubts. There are times, if we were honest, if we were really honest, that we would say, yes, I doubt. We, we're scared to say it, I think. I think a lot of times we're scared to say, I, I have doubts. Why? Because we're, gonna afraid, we're afraid that God's going to be mad at us. Right? Well, God will be angry at me if I doubt. God won't love me if I doubt. God will cast me out if I doubt. It's not true. God deals with doubt gently and with grace and mercy. Now, how do I know this? I think of the story of Peter walking on the water. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus comes walking on the water out to his disciples in the middle of the night. Towards morning, actually, is about 3 o'clock in the morning. It was in the last watch of the night. Jesus comes walking on the water out to his disciples. And Peter, full of faith, says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says one word, come. Peter hops out of the boat, gets down on the water, and he's walking out to Jesus. What a moment of triumph. What an amazing moment in his life. A moment of great faith. Two men have walked on water. Jesus was one. Peter was the other. Two people in the history of the world have walked on water. I've walked on water, but it was frozen. <laughs> but Peter's walking on the water. And then the Bible says that he saw the wind 
and the waves. He saw the wind and the waves. And he started to sink. What does Jesus do? What's the matter, Peter? What's going on? Where are you going? Why are you sinking? No, the Bible says that Jesus immediately reached out his hand and pulled him up. And then they have a conversation. Out on the waves, out on the water, not in front of the other disciples, but on the, on the waves, Jesus looks at him and says, Why did you doubt? He doesn't berate him in front of the other disciples. He doesn't rebuke him in front of the other disciples. He just gently says to him, Why did you doubt? You were doing so great, full of faith, walking on water. You took your eyes off of me and you started to doubt. Why did you doubt? And I believe that Jesus looks at us and says, you're doing so great. But the winds of life come and the waves of life crash over our the sides of our boats and we just don't know what to do and we, full, we, fear, we, we feel full of doubt. It's like, I don't know that I can, I don't know what I believe. I don't know. And if we're honest, we would say, yes, I, I doubt. I have moments of doubt. I have moments of great faith. I have moments where I feel like I could walk on water. But I also have those moments when I'm in the storm of life where I start to doubt. And again, we're scared. Well, God's not going to love me if I doubt. That's not true. God will always, always love you. I got to tell my favorite Bible story of the year to the preschoolers this week. And it's just, it's very simply, Jesus loves little children. And I wanted them to know without a doubt that no matter where they go and no matter what they do, these three and four-year-olds, that God is going to love them no matter what. And for you, my 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90-year-old folks, God is always going to love you no matter where you go, no matter what you do. No matter what you say, no matter if you're full of faith or if you're full of fear, if you're full of doubt or if you have the faith that can move mountains, God is always going to love you and nothing will ever change that. Nothing. And so my, my challenge, my, my, um, my words of comfort to you today are don't be afraid of doubt but don't let it sit there and don't just say well I doubt so no big deal no remember these things remember that centuries have gone by and people have put their faith and trust in Christ remember the things in your past remember how God has come through in your life Remember how you have seen him move. Remember how you have seen him change your life. How you have hope in a time of hopelessness. How you have peace in a time of chaos. How you have joy in the midst of great trial. Remember what God has done for you. And when those doubts come, say, you know what? Yeah, I'm having a little bit of doubt today, but I'm going to remember what God has done. I'm going to remember how God has changed my life. I'm going, to, I'm going to look around. You know, this is my favorite time of year. I love the springtime as everything comes back to life. And I see the evidence of God everywhere. From the sounds of the birds singing at 5.30 in the morning, and they do. To the warmer days, they're coming. To the rains that fall and make everything green. 
I see the beauty of a world that God has made. And it strengthens my faith. When I think to the past of how God has moved and changed me, how he's moved in my life and changed me, I am filled with faith. So that in the days when I doubt, and yes, I do, I'm reminded of how God has always been there and how God will continue to be there and change my life and call me home. God lovingly, gently deals with us when we doubt. He showed himself to Thomas and said, stop doubting and believe. He proves himself over and over again. And my, my words of, of comfort to you today is if you are dealing with doubt, and I know that some of you are, if you're dealing with doubt today, God is calling out across the heavens, stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. In John chapter 20, verse 29, Jesus said this. He says, because you have seen me, he says this to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are you, though even though you have not seen him, you believe. Keep believing. The second blank on your outline is that God's voice was heard. God's voice was heard. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, we continue reading, For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. He was referring back to Matthew chapter 17 or Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. I don't want to read that from Mark chapter 9. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up on a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for, you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Listen to him. Peter and the apostles had seen God's son, and now they had heard God's voice. The father expressed his love for his son. He expressed his admiration for his son. He expressed his approval of his son. It was further testimony that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God. He was the Anointed One, the Christ, the Savior. Peter was reminding these early disciples in the first century that, they had, that he had heard God's voice and that their faith was worth it. That even though they were undergoing persecution and trial and suffering, don't give up. Keep pressing on, keep enduring, keep going. Because I'm here to tell you, Peter says, I have seen the Lord and I have heard the voice of the Father saying, Jesus, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. 
continue to believe, continue to have faith. Jesus is the Son of God. My friends, Jesus is the Son of God, and He died on the cross for your sins. He died on the cross for my sins. He gave His life for us as the perfect atoning sacrifice, as the perfect, sinless, blameless Son of God that can take away the sins of the world. And like I said before, He was raised on the third day just as He said He would be. And He is alive and forevermore and coming back again. Jesus is real. Peter saw Him. Peter heard God's testimony, the Father's testimony that this was His Son. And Jesus is real and coming back. The last blank on your outline, and this to me is the, 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 some of the most important words in this entire book of Second Peter. The last blank on your outline was God's Word was given by the Holy Spirit. God's Word was given by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 19. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand, no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The prophets, Peter says, were not full of hot air, but rather... The prophecies that they predicted, the things that they said about Jesus, came true. They were fulfilled in Jesus. The Old Testament was given as a way of pointing, a kind of a sign, pointing to Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God, as the Savior. There was a professor in the 1960s, the last name of Stoner, Professor Stoner. And he uh, and a bunch of his students calculated the probability of just eight Eight prophecies coming true concerning Jesus. Okay, so there, in, in the Old Testament, there are 48 prophecies about the first coming of Jesus. Every single one of them came true. But they said, you know what, that's, that's too great a number. Let's just figure out eight. So eight prophecies concerning Jesus. The, the probability of eight prophecies written hundreds of years before Jesus, of, of him fulfilling those eight prophecies, is, well, it's this number here. It's one in 10 to the 17th power. That's a lot of zeros. Okay, one to the se- one uh, to ten. I'm sorry, ten to the seventeenth power. That's what that number looks like. It would be like taking and covering the state of Texas, two feet deep in silver dollars. Okay, covering the state of Texas, and Texas is a big state. They'll tell you that, and uh, it's covering the entire state of Texas, two feet deep in silver dollars. It's taking one of those silver dollars and marking it with a red X. And then you take that silver dollar and you chuck it across the state. And then you take all of the silver dollars all over the state of Texas and you mix them all up. And then you take coal. You blindfold coal. Cole said, why are you blindfolding me? But you blindfold coal. You spin them around three times. You say, Cole, you can go anywhere in the entire state of Texas. Go find that red x coin. The probability of him picking up that red x coin out of all of those silver dollars, is 1 in 10 to the 17th power. And that's the probability of Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies. But like I said, there were 48 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. You want to know what that number looks like? Looks like this. 1 in 10 to the 157th power. That's a lot of zeros. 
That's a lot of zero. That's more than lottery winners make. Okay? That's more than Bill Gates has got. Jesus fulfilled them all. His life is not a coincidence. His life was not a coincidence. It's not a matter of chance. His coming was prophesied, prophesied about for centuries, and he fulfilled them all. How is that possible? How is it possible that God could, that Jesus could fulfill all of those prophecies? It's because he is who he said he was. He's the Son of God. And the Bible is God's Word. The Bible is God's Word. The Bible is true, and it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All Scripture is God-breathed. It came about by God breathing it into the hearts of men who wrote it down. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. God used human authors to write down the 66 books of the Old and New Testament to teach us everything we need to know about becoming fully devoted, fully surrendered, fully sold out, devoted to disciples of Jesus Christ, to have a real relationship with God. Jesus, uh, the Bible was inspired by the Holy Spirit so that we could understand how to have a relationship with God, how to be saved and go to heaven. The Bible is God's word. It is not the mere words of men. You cannot pick and choose what you like and what you don't like. You can't look at the Bible and go, ah, you know what, this part over here in, uh, in Romans chapter 4, I, I don't know, I, I really don't. <laughs> you're going to get rid of it? You're going to take out, you're going to pick and choose what to obey, what not to obey? You're going to pick and choose what, we, what to believe and what not to believe? How can we do that with God's Word? I believe that the Bible is God's Word from the, in the beginning of Genesis to the last amen of Revelation. It is all God's Word. And it is all true. We cannot pick and choose what we believe and what we follow based on uh, the whims of society and culture. We can't. Again, God wrote the Word. God wrote the Bible. It's His Word. He is in charge because He's God. So we do what He says. No matter what society may say, no matter what culture may say, well, no, 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 we, we don't have to follow that anymore. We don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to do those things. We're going to pick and choose what we want to... What if God decided to pick and choose? What if God said, ah, you know, I'm tired of forgiving sins, so I think I'm just going to throw that whole forgiving sins thing out. Oh, that doesn't sound fun now, does it? That doesn't sound good at all. But that's what we do. That's what society does. Well, that's outdated and archaic, and we don't need to believe that anymore. So we're just going to get rid of that. Really? I don't think so. The Bible is God's word. He decides what stays and what goes. And the way I understand it, for the last 2,000 years, he says this all stays. This is what we do. And as a church, I promise you this, that the first Christian church of Griffith, Indiana is going to stand on the truth of God's word. We are not going to compromise it for anybody. We are going to do what it says from in the beginning to the last amen. This is God's word. This is God's church. We follow his word. Because it's very simply, we can't say, well, this is true and this isn't true. Because at the moment you say that part of the Bible is not true, how can you trust any of it? Well, this part here, well, no, that's probably not true. Okay, 
then how do we know that any of it is true? If you say one little bit of it, well, no, that's probably not true, or that probably didn't happen, or, you know, how can a donkey talk? God made the donkey talk. I don't know how it happened, I just know that it happened. Because if I don't believe that it happened, then how can I believe any of the rest of it? It's either 100% true or 100% false. Because if I can't trust that a donkey talked, how can I trust that Jesus died for my sins? If I'm going to believe one part of it, I've got to believe all of it. And that's where I come from. That's how I stand. God is the authority. We must do what He says, what His Word says. It is an instruction manual for how to live our lives. It is a love letter to humanity. It is a road map to get to where we are going and where we want to be. It is more than the words of mere men. It is God's Word. And I will not bend or succumb to the pressure of society or culture. I will follow God's Word. I will preach God's Word because that is exactly what it is. It is God's Word. Say it with me. It is God's Word. And we will follow it. We teach a little song to children. Maybe you know it. The B-I-B-L-E Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E Bible. We teach it to little kids. We want them to learn it. We want them to know the song. They can sing it. They scream here at KFC on Thursday nights. They scream at the top of their lungs. We'll teach it to them. But then we forget it as we get older. No, no, that Bible stuff, that's just for little kids. No, it's not. You see, that's what this is really all about. Not forgetting this wonderful truth that the Bible is God's word. We must heed Peter's call to remember these things things that God promised to send a savior and that promise was fulfilled in Jesus because he was seen and the voice of God was heard and we must remember that God's word is God's word he has provided a way out he has provided a way for us to be saved by his grace through faith that is expressed in repentance confession and baptism and we must remember these things my friends we must remember them and never ever forget father god thank you for the truth of your word thank you for the hope that we find in it thank you for the savior that it tells us about thank you for sending your son jesus not just a ghost or an apparition but a real man a perfect human sacrifice who gave up his life for us thank you god for the truth of your word that teaches us how to live and teaches us how to get home God, we look forward to the day that we do just that, that we go home to live with you forever and ever. But until that day, I pray that you would treat us kindly and gently and lovingly. For we are uh, people who, who fail and fall short. We doubt and we, we wonder. But God, we know, we know that you're there. We know that your truth is real and that your word is true and that you are good, and your love endures forever. Thank you, God, for the many blessings that you have provided. Help us to remember these things this week, and we pray these things in Jesus' name.